0: Good morning, my name is uh, Wade, I'm I'm, uh, one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Jesse, who is going to be uh, away for a month while he, um, he he's in Hawaii right now, uh, enjoying the awesome weather over there. Uh, he was at our presbytery meeting a couple days ago, um, representing Indelible Grace Church. And he will be finishing up his uh, PhD. I think he's going to finish up his thesis. And uh, so super exciting. We'll have a, a, a doctor up in the pulpit at some point very soon. Um, but you guys are stuck with me today. So... Um, I'm gonna to read to you guys from the, the, Proverbs in just a moment, but before we do that, um, let me, let me introduce, let me talk, let me, let me, uh, introduce, um, the, the topic, which is, we're going through the book of Proverbs today, specifically anger. Um, specifically, how do we look at anger as believers in Christ? How do we process the anger that we ha- we feel and have in our hearts? And, um, before I read the passage, uh, just, one, just one thing I want to say about anything in the book of Proverbs, which is it's not a list of rules primarily for us to follow. It's not primarily a, a, a set of principles for us to abide by, although they are those things. The book of Proverbs' primary interest is how our hearts are shaped as we go through life. How our, sh- how our hearts and our souls are are being shaped as we mature, as we develop. And this topic of anger is one that is, I think, uh, close to many of us. So we'll talk about that in just a moment, but first I'm going to read the passages that we have in the book of Proverbs. Um, there are actually very many passages in the Bible about Anger. I'm going to read a select few from the book of Proverbs, and I will be reading a few more from uh, other passages in the Bible today. But for now, let's look at what we have in today's text from Proverbs, multiple chapters. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is the word of God. I have a book here. Um, It's called Good and Angry. And it was written by a guy named David Powlison. And there are multiple chapters in the book. Chapter two, the title of the chapter is, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? And I don't know if you can see this, but the entirety of the chapter is one word, yes. (laughs) Do you have a serious problem with anger? Yes. And uh, I was actually introduced to this book by uh, my counselor a few years ago. I was seeing a counselor, and um, uh, up at c- in CCEF or up at CCEF in-, in Philadelphia. And this was during a tumultuous season in my life, um, c- kind of be- around the beginning of, of the pandemic. And uh, maybe for you, it was tumultuous as well. But um, there were a-, a few things that were playing into how I was um, processing life and how I was. Uh, how i was how I was affecting how i was interacting with other people and i knew at this time that i was an angry person um for the first time i felt anger as a very big and very real element of my life i was angry at certain people around me i was angry at god and I realized this is so much bigger. I, I, I thought that I was a, um, a peaceful person before who. I, I can't really remember getting angry um, until I was in my late 20s, maybe. I'm sure there was. Um, but uh, in time, I, f- I, I realized um, that I was an M, an angry person. anger is one of those emotions that animates us in ways that other emotions don't. Some of us, when you become angry, you become hyper-articulate. You're really good at pointing out the flaws of other people when it happens. Others of us, we fall apart. We lash out with no restraint. Some of us become destructive with our words and our actions. If you have bitterness or if you complain, if you're critical of other people, underneath that is anger. And we swim in it, in this culture. We live in a really strange time in history right now. The term outrage culture, this is a term that we hear now, but this term did not exist 15 years ago. And 15 years ago is not that long ago. Do you want to get angry quickly? Just read the news, or just go on Facebook or Instagram. Talk to your friends, talk to people that have a slightly different political opinion than you, and you will get angry. It's really easy to get angry right now. In pop culture, who are the characters that are identified with anger? Of course, there's the Hulk, if you follow w- comic books. <coughs> Wolverine, John Wick, uh, his dog was killed, and he therefore goes on a rampage killing thousands of people. Um, the 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 Beef miniseries with Ali Wong and Steven Yuen, um, this... At the center of this story are two people who are filled with anger toward each other, and they destroy each other in the process. Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye. Snape from the Harry Potter series. There's this simmering anger, perhaps. Batman, especially if you've watched the most recent Batman with Robin Pattinson, that is a dark movie, and you can feel the anger of Batman as you watch the movie. And in the movies, doesn't it always seem like the bad guy is someone who at one point was a good person that experienced something painful and traumatic? And the reason why they become the bad guy is because they didn't learn how to deal with their pain and hurt properly, and then they're filled with anger and rage. And why do these characters resonate with us? Why are angry people such a... um, such a, such a ubiquitous part of our culture. It's because I think anger resonates with us. Anger resonates with us. Are you an angry person? As we look at the scriptures, a few things to ask ourselves is that, am I an angry person? And according to the book, yes, you are an angry person. Um, why are we so angry? What do we do with that anger? And my goal this morning, just for the next uh, 20 25 minutes is for us to understand at least partially what God's word has to say about anger and what we are to do with it. So our three points to get us there. Number one, the role of anger, number two, the consequence of anger, and number three, the healing of anger. The role, the consequence, and the healing of anger. So first is the role of anger in our lives. Like every other emotion, anger is neither good nor bad. Emotions themselves are morally neutral. It's how we express them that is good or bad. Emotions are God-given to us, and they're meant to move us toward action. They tell us about what's happening inside of us in response to what's happening outside of us. And what we need to learn, according to the Scriptures, is there's this temperance that we need to approach our anger with. We neither suppress our emotions, nor do we give them full reign of our words and actions. And what emotions do is they tell us that we, we because we know intuitively something is wrong, emotions tell us, the, the more negative emotions, sadness, anger, um, they tell, quote-unquote, um, negative emotions... They tell us that something is wrong with the world. The author Shige Clark, she says this, I posit that sorrow and anger are merely two roads in a road in a, in a wood, ultimately ending at the same destination. Some of us need to cry, but some of us need to scream. In all of us is this innate feeling that something is wrong with the world, and it's affecting me. So therefore, the angry person is not... Only the one who yells at people and slams doors. The angry person is also the one who has experienced sin on a deep level and wants to do something about it, whether or not it's constructive. If we feel angry, whether or not we have a right to, there is something inside of us that says, There's something wrong with this person that offended me, or there's something wrong with the situation that I'm in. And the challenge for us then is to know two things. Number one, whether or not I have a right to be angry at the person or the situation. And number two, whether or not I am responding in an appropriate manner. So what we need to do is if we sense this anger, if we feel something in us that's moving us in that direction, we need to look inward. And I'm going to take a few questions from the same book that I've been uh, pointing out, this book from David Pallison, Good and Angry. And this is what he says. Here are some questions that will help you uncover expectations and motives that underlie your anger. The first, when you get upset, what do you want? What does that desire mean to you? Why does that thing matter to you? What is it that we want when we feel anger? Second question, when you fire into anger, what do you believe about the significance of what just happened to you? Why did we get angry, and why do we feel so strongly about it? The third one, what are you afraid of? He says this, fear is desire turned backwards. I don't want that to happen. What dire thing do you believe might happen if that thing that I fear actually happens? And this last group of questions to help us see what's happening inside of us. What intentions guided you during that interaction. What are you after? When you become bitter and can't shake it, what do you hope for and wish? What are you living for right now, not in theory? These questions dig deeply into the springs of anger, he says. They reveal what you, your heart, what you crave, what you trust, what you hate, and what you love. So therefore, anger is a revealer to us. I'm angry because something that I care about is threatened. I'm angry because this thing that I hold precious is being taken away from me. I'm angry because I feel a threat that whatever it is that I love... Is going to be removed. So we ask ourselves, what is happening inside me when there's this thing that is causing me this anger? Is there something legitimately wrong with what I'm experiencing, either this person or the situation? Or is there something abnormal going, in, going on in me that needs to be addressed? So is a problem inward or outward? If there's something wrong with what I'm experiencing, then I can move toward making things right. Sometimes it is proper and right to act on our anger. Scripture speaks of it. If you remember Jesus, a couple instances in the gospel, if you remember Jesus at the temple, what does he do when he sees the money changers? He turns over the tables in anger. He's furious that his father's house has become a a, a place of commerce rather than a house of prayer. Jesus is angry in this moment, and that anger moves him to do something. Another instance in John 11, when Mary and Martha tell Jesus about the death of Lazarus, we're told in the scriptures that Jesus was deeply moved. And if we look at the Greek of that text... Um, the word actually is a Greek word for this um, this this idea of being indignant. Jesus was indignant about the fact that Lazarus was dead. Jesus, out of angry sorrow, went to the tomb of Lazarus and raised him from the dead. So anger in itself is not wrong, but it 's how we react to the anger that is either good or bad, and sometimes we Sometimes the way that we express anger is good and appropriate, as we see from the life of Jesus. But other times it's sinful. Other times it's sinful. So, this is my second point the consequence of anger. The consequence of anger. What does anger do to us when we don't approach it in the proper way? The first is this it dehumanizes us. Sit, anger dehumanizes us as human beings. Um, one of the verses that I read earlier, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 19. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, he will only have to do it again. This, so, this passage is telling us, here is someone who is not only angry, but he identifies with anger on a deep level. That's why he's always angry. That's why he's a bitter person. There's a stubbornness to the angry person, because they identify so strongly with the anger, and they let it control them. Frederick Buechner says this about anger. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you were given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Anger dehumanizes us. As I have thought about my own anger, I've seen how it, it can take a hold of me at moments. Like th- there are times I'm washing the dishes and I think back to certain things that happened in the past year or two and I feel myself clenching my teeth and I, I feel myself getting warm because I'm getting upset and I start fantasizing about ways I can make things right in my own eyes and that is something that rots away at my soul because what, one of the things I learned over the past several years is it feels really good to be angry. I understand now why people lash out. I understand now why people do what they do when they're angry, because it feels really good. But according to Frederick Biekner, and I think according to the Proverbs, what it does is it dehumanizes us. It cuts away at who we are. It cuts away at our dignity as human beings. It's one of the consequences of anger. Another consequence is that it alienates us from each other. Um, next week, we're going to look at the power of words from the Proverbs, and I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But um, just uh, there's a little bit of overlap between what I say today and, to, and next week. But anger alienates us because it creates a gulf between us and the person that we're angry against. There might be some negative sentiments, and you can either find a way to resolve those things... Or you can put some teeth to them. You can decide, I'm going to hurt this other person back. I will make them feel what I felt. And when we do that, there is this destructive, sinful anger that alienates us from other people. James 1, chapter 1, this is what he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes it's right and good to be angry and act out on that. Other times it is sinful because in our anger we lose control of who we are and According to the Bible, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many times do we think that in our anger, when we are confronting someone, when we are speaking to them, when we think that that I just want them to feel the pain that I feel, it never, ever gives you the result that you want. It doesn't do that. That's what the Bible says. If you want a person to... See your way. If you want someone to 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 move, be moved in a way that is helpful to you and to the relationship and to themselves, we need to be precise with how we use our anger. So therefore, relationally, it is vital to, to develop the skill of responding thoughtfully rather than react impulsively. And um, I should jump in here r- real quick and say that um, a few weeks ago when Jesse was talking about parenting, um, he said, I'm not speaking from my own experience. Uh, I'm paraphrasing him. Um, He's saying, I I still have ways to learn, uh, ways to go. I still have ways to learn. I'm speaking from the authority of Scripture. This is one of these things where I really need to speak from the authority of Scripture and not myself because this is a uh, a huge weakness of mine, which is that I do not respond thoughtfully. But the Proverbs, it gives us these principles of how to be a human being Chapter 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. In our anger, we need to be temperate in how we respond. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul and the rest of the Bible, there's this understanding that anger has a special power over us. So much so that it's a foothold for the devil. If the devil wants you to do something harmful and sinful and painful and hurtful to the people around you, anger is the perfect weapon for him to use. Again, David Pallison. This is what he says: When anger goes bad, it's because motives operate in a godlike mode. When we are angry, when you're, when you feel this when you feel good about anger, um, what's happening inside of us is is this sentiment that says, in your anger, or in my anger, I feel like I'm in control. In my anger, I can imagine things that I will be saying or doing to this person to let them know how wrong they are. From anger springs ugly thoughts where we think about doling out our displeasure toward people. But I think this is what the scriptures are telling us. Every expression of anger is either an expression of the heart and values of God, what we see from Jesus in the Gospels, or, it, or it's an expression for us to get our own way. In other words, if it doesn't move us toward the surgical elimination of evil, as God wants, then it's an amplification of the natural tendency of our hearts to be the God of our own lives, and be the God of our environment, and that includes the people around us. In our anger, we view ourselves and our hurt as the chief concern. We view our preferences and priorities as the supreme value in the moment. This is what Dallas Willard says. Stepping out of anger means that you are surrendering your will to God. It means you have accepted that you don't have to have your way. And this is how we can think about anger, is it doesn't have to control us. We don't need to use anger as a tool. Rather, we look to God and say, look at this weapon in my hand and take it out. Because I am not the one in control. I'm not the one that can change the situation or people around me. It's only by the Spirit of God. Scotty Smith, he's a pastor in Nashville, and um, he writes these, he's written several books. Um, He has a book of prayers, and um, I want to read you, this is a short prayer of his, um, talking about anger, and this tendency that we have to want to um, just take hold of it, and to control the people or the situation around us. So let me read that to you. Everyone wants the righteousness of God. But no one desires mercy. Everyone wants the right outcomes that are truly of God. But how do we get there? Not by our angry demandingness. If our cause really is of God, he will watch over it. We can trust him for that. Our part is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Like what we read from the call to worship. While we wait on God for vindication for ourselves and justice for others, there's one thing we can all actively keep doing and he quotes John James 3. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. To reap an abundant harvest of righteousness, the really satisfying righteousness that is of God, the way forward is not to demand, to pressure, to embarrass, but to sow peace, shalom, wholeness, humaneness. Any self-invented shortcut will reap a harvest of unintended right, unrighteousness and unforeseen injustice, even with the best of intentions. And this is what he ends with. There's only one way to the right outcomes that honor Christ and satisfy us, to trust him for the future as we sow peace in the present. Sin will, anger will dehumanize us. Anger will alienate those around us. It will truncate us as human beings. It cuts us down And yet we are still given this tool of anger. It can be for good. Psalm 4 it says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Here is this call to trust God, an invitation to say, You can acknowledge that you're you're angry. But the psalmist says, Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Who is really in control? Who really has the full picture of everything that's happening? This is when you can say to God, God, this is what I feel, but I trust you to make things right. This is why in Ephesians, it says this, Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. These things spring from anger. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're invited to give anger its proper place. Anger is either destructive or constructive. And The Proverbs give us these instructions This is how you wield this powerful weapon. Our final point, the healing of anger. The healing of anger. There is um, this well-known book, uh, Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Patton. And um, it's a really long book. And it was – I'm not going to – I'm going to – I'm not going to explain the whole premise – because uh, it's, it's long. There's a lot of layers to it. But um, one of the aspects of this book is, uh, well, this is written before uh, apartheid in South Africa. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. The main character, his name is Stephen Kumalo, and he is a black Anglican pastor in a small impoverished village. And he lives in this world of injustice and oppression and systemic racism and betrayal. Um, his son has committed a crime, and he experiences that brings upon a whole, uh, a whole uh, layer of pain into his life, and he is dealing with this throughout the book and he he has a friendship with another pastor and this other pastor, he's, he's wise and um, he gives him advice and he says, this is how you should um, approach this or that. And uh, Pastor Stephen, he tells this other pastor, you're a very kind man. And this is what the other pastor says. He says this, I am not kind. I am a selfish and sinful man, but God has put his hand upon me. God has put his hand upon me, and this is something that sticks with Stephen Kamalo as he struggles with all this all, all the painful things, um, things that would make someone very bitter, someone very angry um, there 's one point in the book when he decides to go up to the mountain and the the narrator he says this um, he, he decides he commits to turning aside from such fruitless rememberings fruitless rememberings because at this point he's been holding everything on and he's been allowing it to embitter him. And he goes up to a mountain and he he goes to God with his anxieties and his burdens and he confesses to God that this is what is weighing me down. And he commits himself to move in a good and healthy and loving direction. And we see throughout in, in the, in the, as, a th- as the book goes on, how he is rehumanized, how he's redignified as a human being, because he learns that anger does not have to take a hold of him. And like his friend, he can say this, I am not kind, I'm, I am a selfish and sinful man. He can be realistic about what's happening in him, but God has put his hand upon me. And how do we deal with what is happening in us? Are you an angry person? Do you struggle with anger either from in yourself or from other people? The answer is the gospel, and the gospel allows us to see ourselves in a bigger story. If we understand the gospel, it will reorient how we understand anger. It will reorient how we relate to God and ourselves. Here is the thing. There's this really painful and astounding verse in Ephesians, and it says this, that we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. That means that all of you, all of us, me, we were objects of God's burning anger, anger, the Bible speaks repeatedly of God's anger towards sinners. The Bible speaks repeatedly of God's judgment and wrath. And can you imagine all the wrath of the God of the universe, the infinite, eternal God, and his anger towards sin? And what, who is he angry toward? He's angry at you. Who is the object of his wrath? You are the object of his wrath. Who deserves all of God's anger? You do, and I do if you wonder, if you want justice, you probably don't want justice from God because we would all be destroyed, and why are we objects of god's wrath because we ourselves viewed viewed ourselves as God by the ways that we live, by the ways that we try to live apart from him, by us saying, God, I don't like the way that you've, you've situated the people around me or the way that you've arranged the world. God, I don't like that you've done this in my life, and therefore, I've determined that you are not a good and wise and loving God. I've determined that I know better, and there is, whether or not we acknowledge it, there is a simmering anger in us that says to God, when we sin, you have not done right, God. My view of the situation is better than yours, God. And that is sin. And God, of course, he could have destroyed us, but he sends Jesus. And listen to this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Who has all the rights in the universe? Who has all every right to be angry? It's Jesus. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is, this is the gospel. This exchange of Christ's righteousness for our sin. Every bit of anger, every bit of sinful anger, every sin that we've ever committed on the cross was laid on Jesus and the anger of God was poured out on Jesus and Jesus experienced it all, the wrath of God. And in exchange, God, Jesus has given us his Righteousness. So when God looks at you, He looks at someone who has never sinned, as if you've never sinned. God treats you with kindness. This is why, when we, when we read the Psalms, he, it says He's slow to anger, He's compassionate, He's filled with steadfast love. There's a tenderheartedness to the heart of God toward you, though you have angered Him. Because of Christ, and this will reorient how we think about not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with our anger, our relationship with each other. If you understand the grace that you've been given, you can you can be gracious to other people. You can look inside you and be honest about what is happening in your hearts, and you can say, God, I give this to you. I am a selfish man. I am an evil man but the hand of God is upon me. The hand of God is upon you if you are in Christ. The hand of God is upon you and in his grace he can heal our hang our anger. There's um one final thing, just one super quick verse that I want to read to you. Um it's from Revelation 15. Um It says this the wrath of god is finished the wrath of god is finished one day you will never be angry again one day the displeasure of god will never be expressed again because he has made a way for us to be right with him and one day jesus will there will be a healing of everything in the world and there will be nothing for us or god to be angry at The wrath of God is finished one day, but for us who believe in Christ, believe this, that the wrath of God upon you, that is finished because of Christ. May that be something that sinks into our bones and changes how we think about anger. Will you pray with me? God, we um, are an angry people. And whether or not it's expressed in ways that are obvious, it is true that um, so often we have this tendency to think of our own viewpoints as the right ones. We think of our own actions as justified. We think of other people as the offenders. Um, But the gospel tells us that we are the ones that are are the offenders always. We are the ones that that deserve judgments And yet you don't give it to us. You give us mercy in Christ, God. And I pray that this would change us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our righteousness. Amen.